0: Good morning. Be honest. How many of y'all thought you were coming to the early service? (laughs) My hope is that the sermon gets a little better each time. Like it was awful last night. It was pretty bad at 9 o'clock, and so I'm hoping it will be mediocre now. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't know if I'll get there or not, but... We'll give it, I'll give it my best shot. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Lord, we are so thankful to You for who You are, for what You've done for us, for all of Your grace and goodness. And we ask today that You will speak through Your Word, that it will, will genuinely touch our hearts. And we will... Know that going out of here, we have heard from you, and we pray this in the name of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, a few few weeks ago, I was uh, I went into the liquor store. Let me say that a little differently. Um, there's this uh, there's a liquor store right beside Coal Ridge. And they have these great sandwiches. That's all I ever get there. As far as you know. So, I go into the liquor store and I'm getting a sandwich for somebody else. And the lady who's making the sandwiches who works in the liquor store, she said, hey, aren't you the pastor that makes everybody laugh? And I said, maybe. Why? Why? you never really want to admit to anything until you're sure what they're after, you know. I was on a plane once and this guy beside me asked me what I did and that. And I told him that I taught New Testament. And he said, you're not one of them born-again's, are you? Maybe. Why? You don't want to admit to that until you're really sure what they mean by it because being born again means something very different today than it meant 2000 years ago and those of you that are old enough to remember when Jimmy Carter was president remember that he he spoke of himself as being born again and then being born again sort of took on this different kind of uh flavor and it became almost a a brand of christianity but that's not the way it was when the term was first coined. And as we read through the text this morning, you'll see when the when the word the term being born again was first coined. It happens here in John 3 as this man Nicodemus comes to ask Jesus some questions. And so this is the way that the word speaks to us in John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through Him might be saved. It's kind of an unusual phrase that Jesus uses when Nicodemus comes and asks Him a question. And then Nicodemus sort of follows up with some other questions. And so today, I think it'll be valuable for us to ask a few questions ourselves about this passage. And so then we can walk out of here, hopefully, and realize what it was that Jesus meant when He spoke about being born again. Because every one of us who's here today really ought to ask ourselves whether or not we have ever been born again. Not born again in this sense of a, a, some kind of a cultural thing, but being born again in the, in the way that Jesus really speaks about it. So let's ask a couple of questions. The first question is, what does it mean being born again? We all want a new start. I mean, if we all had that time machine, there's a place in our lives I'm sure that we could all go back to and say, I'd like to straighten out that error that I made. Or I'd like, to, I'd like a do-over. I'd like to have some time when I could do something right that I did wrong. We'd all like to have that. It was the poet John Clare who said, if life had a second edition, I'd want to correct the first one. And that's not, unfortunately, what being born again means. It doesn't mean to us that we get to go back and live our life over and straighten out all the things that we did wrong. It's not that. What is it then? I'll tell you a couple things that it's not. First of all, it's not, it's not the deep cathartic experience that some people speak of. Some people who don't really know what being born again is, they say, well, there are certain kinds of people who need that deep kind of experience. Maybe they're an alcoholic, or maybe they're a drug addict, or maybe they've been to jail. They're of course not like us. They're different. They need something in their lives straightened out. That's not what it is here. Jesus says you must be born again to this man who is the great teacher of Israel. he's not got something wrong with him. He's not one of the lower class citizens. He is at the top. The very top. He is the teacher of Israel. And yet, Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Then there, there are others who think that being born again is for those who desperately need rules in their life. That everything for them has to be black and white. And so what they desperately need is someone to come along and tell them you should do this and you shouldn't do that. And so they say there are some people who really need guidelines and rules. And if you want to be born again, they'll give you all those rules and all those guidelines that you need. The last thing that Nicodemus needed was more rules. He was a Pharisee. If there's anything we know about the Pharisees of the first century, it is that they had lots and lots of rules. One of the things that the Pharisees did, they were so desperate, they so desperately wanted to obey the law of God that they put up what they called fences around the law. So there were all these kind of other laws that they didn't want to break just in case they might be breaking God's law. And that's the reason that we have, for example, the Mishnah and the Talmud. The Mishnah and the Talmud are all these other fences that the Pharisees put up around the law. And so if you read, for example, the Mishnah, there's a tractate on the Sabbath. And in there, somebody asks the rabbi, if a beggar comes to my door and I give him food, am I breaking the Sabbath? And the rabbi says, well, if a beggar comes to your door and he sits his bowl down and you pick it up and fill it up and then sit the bowl back down and then he picks it up, you haven't broken the Sabbath. But, if he hands you the bowl and you reach across your threshold to get it from him, then you have broken the Sabbath. There are all these kind of very explicit rules. The last thing that anyone who was a leader of the Pharisees needed was more rules. And so, being born again has nothing to do with this cathartic experience that those of us who are broken really need. Being born again has nothing to do with adding more rules so you always know what is right and wrong. Being born again it's something entirely different from that. And you'll notice that when Jesus says to Nicodemus in the third verse, He says, you must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't know what, exactly what that means. He says, what do you mean being born again? How am I supposed to shrink myself down and be a little baby again and, and be born again? I, I, I can't do that. It's almost certain that Jesus coined this term being born again. I've read a a good bit of literature of the period and I haven't seen it at any time before this This speaking of it here in in John's Gospel. Lots of times after. The early church fathers and others mention it a lot. But it's only after Jesus coins the term. And Jesus tells us exactly what this being born again is in verse 5. He says to Nicodemus, no, you don't have to shrink it down and be a little baby again. You have to be born of the Spirit and the water, or the water and the Spirit. Now there are lots of different ideas about what that water and Spirit means. If, if you were to go to a, a theologian's conference on the Gospel of John, there would be arguments about what water and Spirit meant. I mean, that is a roller coaster ride of excitement. A theologian's conference on the water and the Spirit. you got to know, there's some wild times there. And so some of them would say, being born in the water and the Spirit means you're born naturally the first time, like when your mother's water breaks, and then you're born the second time you're born again because of the Spirit of God. I don't think that's what Jesus means there, but some do. Others will say, well, that means being, being baptized. You're baptized in the water, and then you're born in the Spirit, and so you need both of those things to really be born again. I don't think that's what Jesus means. If, if you look at, at this passage, you'll begin to notice some parallelism. And the parallelism is Jesus' answers to Nicodemus' question. And, and Nicodemus, Jesus seems to be explaining to Nicodemus what He means by being born again by saying you have to be born of the water and the Spirit. And while being born again is a, a new term to Nicodemus, being born of the water and the Spirit are not. There are many times in the, in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament where you will find that's being spoken of being born of the water and the Spirit. For example, if you looked at, at <clears throat> in, the, in the book of Ezekiel in, in chapter 36, you would find Ezekiel saying there's a new people of God coming. And God will sprinkle you to make you clean with water. And then, He will put a new Spirit in you. You see there that the water and the Spirit essentially is, is another way of saying being born again. It's another way of saying that God has made you right with Him. It's another way of saying that God has taken that wall that exists between you and Him and He's torn it down. And now your relationship with God is right. That's what being born again is. But there's a second question that we ought to, I think, ask. And that is, why does Jesus speak of being born again? Why does he have the right to sort of coin this term of being born again? Why is that? It, it seems to me that we, we're not shocked by what we hear Jesus saying here in John 3. Part of that's because we don't have the background that Nicodemus has. Part of that is because we've grown up knowing that Jesus is God and reading the rest of the New Testament. But part of that is that we just don't understand Some of the incredible claims that Jesus is making. Jesus is making this incredible claim here that if you're going to be right with God, you have to be right with God through Him. And you'll notice that Jesus speaks as no one else speaks. You see it, for example, in the 13th verse. No one has ascended, excuse me, no one has ascended into heaven who has not come down from heaven. Descended from heaven. And Jesus is saying there, the Son of Man, that's the way that He speaks of Himself. He's saying the Son of Man is the one who does that. Jesus claims to be speaking God's very revelation. Jesus claims that if you want to be right with God, you have to go through Him. That's a shocking claim. Particularly shocking to a Pharisee in the first century. Because the Pharisees thought that they knew God. They thought that they knew God's law. They thought that they were obeying God's law and that they were in a covenant relationship with Him because of the fact that they obeyed God's law. And yet here Jesus comes along and says, no, Nicodemus, all of your obedience of God's law, all of these things that you're doing, they're, they're just not enough. You have to be born again. And the only way that you can be born again is by knowing Me. It's shocking. It's shocking to a first century audience for this, the man whom the text calls the teacher of Israel, to be told by him. An itinerant prophet who who walks around with a few people following him to be told that the real answer to the relationship with God is not by obeying the laws that all the Pharisees had. Rather, it's by coming through this man. That's incredibly shocking. There's a third question. And it's not just what does it mean to be born again? It's not just, why does Jesus speak of being born again? But the third, and I think the most important question that we could ask is, how does one get to be born again? And that's what Nicodemus finally gets to. He's come to Jesus by night. Some have said he's come to Jesus by night because he's a, he doesn't want any other Pharisees recognizing him, and so he comes at night to sort of in hiding. I don't think that's the case. When we see Nicodemus in in the rest of John's Gospel, we, we don't see him hiding anything. But in John's Gospel, light and darkness is a motif. And those who are of the light are God's people and those who are of the darkness are not God's people. And so, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night not just because it's night outside, but also because in his own mind, It's night. He doesn't know how one should really be born again. He just doesn't know that. He needs help. And so Jesus finally answers Nicodemus by by referring to this very obscure story. And you see it in verse 14. Jesus refers to this very obscure story. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. If it were not for this passage of Scripture, this story would probably not be known by very many people. It's a a small story, and it's a strange one. What happens is, it comes from uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And in the book of Numbers, the children of Israel have been brought out of the land of Egypt. Remember, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Moses is brought by God. And Moses comes to the people of Israel and said, I will lead you out of the land of Egypt. And so he's able to do that. He leads them through the Red Sea. Gets them out of the land of Egypt. And then what do the people of Israel do? They start griping them. They say, you know, we had better food in Egypt. It was better for us in Egypt. In fact, we would be better off if we were back in Egypt. Because we just don't think that things are going well for us here. You're wandering around. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how to take care of this. You don't know how to get us good food or water. This is not good. And so God, to punish their griping and murmuring and complaining, He sends these serpents, these snakes. And whoever gripes about Moses or about God, the snake bites them and they die. A group of snakes bites them and they die. It's not like a feel-good story, really. At least at that part. Because essentially, what you learn from it is, if you gripe about the church, a snake might come and bite you. And you might die. But then there's this little measure of grace in the story. God comes to Moses and He says, Moses, you make this this serpent out of bronze. A bronze snake. And you put the snake on a pole. And you hold the pole up. And whoever looks at that bronze snake they will be saved. Even if they've been bitten by a serpent, they will be saved. And then Jesus says this really strange thing. He says, and so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And that salvation will be brought to the Son of Man who is lifted up in verse 15, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus is essentially saying to the Teacher of Israel, if you believe in Me, you have eternal life. If you believe in Me, you have the new birth. But if you don't, then you don't have it. If you don't, then you are going to be chased for the rest of your life by serpents. They might not be the literal serpents like they were out in the desert, but you are going to be chased the rest of your life by a serpent called death. And sooner or later, that serpent will indeed bite you. I was in Columbus, Ohio a few weeks ago, a month ago or something. And I met this guy there. And, and he, you know, he knew that I traveled some to tell people about Knox Seminary and to speak to students. And... Uh, he said, "Listen, if you ever get to Wilmington, North Carolina, you've got to go to this place called the Serpentarium." I said, "Really? What? What is it?" He says, "Well, I went there." He said, "I went there. I drove up to the Serpentarium because I had seen all these ads and billboards and like the world's most dangerous animals." Well, I drove up, and it was at a guy's house. That was the first clue that. This wasn't your this was not going to be Disney World. He said, "I went in, and like as you go in the uh, what used to be the living room, on one side, there are all these things about deadly snakes and and the man who owned the place, he had the Guinness World record for being bitten by more deadly snakes than anyone else, as if that's something to be proud of <laughs> and on the other side, there were these anti government things like the United States is responsible for the Twin Towers, and the United States is poisoning us all through chemtrails, and the United States is allowing alien experiments on its citizens and, you know, stuff that we all already know. And there were all this stuff was <laughs> all this stuff was on the wall there. Really pretty crazy stuff. And so this guy I met said, you know, the owner, he was standing over there by all that anti-government stuff, and I I I didn't go over there because I I didn't want to get into that with him. So I just walked in, and there's this, this big giant glass cage, and it's like one of the most deadly snakes in the world. And on the glass, there's a newspaper article. And the newspaper article is about these two boys that broke into the Miami Zoo and stole one of these very snakes and put it into a plastic garbage bag as they were leaving. And the snake bit through the plastic garbage bag and bit one of the boys. And then, the article just ended like it was torn off. And he said, what happened? Why do you have just half an article here? Was this you when you were a little boy? Or what? What happened? And then he said it got even weirder because not only did they have dangerous snakes, but they had a crocodile in a guy's house in Wilmington, North Carolina. And he said, so the guy picks up this chicken, not a live chicken, but it was a dead chicken, and the crocodile's in this area with like half a door, and he holds up the chicken over that, and the crocodile just comes slamming against the door, which happened to be broken. And the crocodile broke out through the door, and all these people are there. It's like a Godzilla movie. They're all trying to run away from the crocodile. People are saying, Oh, I got to get out of here. He said, One older woman was saying, I got to find my husband. And he said, Ma'am, ma'am, your husband's gone. You got to save yourself now. Just get out of here. (laughs) To be honest with you, I thought the guy was yanking me. I thought that can't be true. So I did what any of you would do I went and looked on TripAdvisor. And it's, it's their own TripAdvisor. And there are a variety of different kinds of, you know, there's five stars and all that. So in the five-star ratings, it's like the kids learned a lot. This was an exciting place. I can't see how the guy stands the smell. Then in the, like in the three stars, there's people saying, it was okay, but I hate all that anti-government stuff because I'm a vet. And then you get down to the one-star ratings and there were quite a few of them but one of them in particular said the door broke the crocodile got loose and almost ate my grandbaby I'm never going back here again I can't believe it in a guy's house in Wilmington North Carolina but you know just like there were serpents in that house just like there were serpents there biting the people of Israel We're all trying to run away from the serpent. All trying to run away from death. All trying to make our lives last as long as we could. And if we could actually be born again, most of us would do that rather than dying. But we can't. Sooner or later, the crocodile gets loose and we die. We only have one bit of hope. The only bit of hope we have against those serpents that bite us, the serpent, the old evil serpent, the big king of all serpents, the only hope we have is by looking at a man who was lifted up on a pole. The only hope we have is that the Son of Man Jesus Christ can give us eternal life. Other than that, we're hopeless. It's interesting to see the other times that that Nicodemus shows up in John's gospel. John will often mention someone three times for symbolic reasons. He mentions Andrew, for example, three times. And every time that you see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Christ. He's an evangelist. He also mentions Nicodemus three times. He mentions him here in chapter 3. And he mentions him in chapter 7. In chapter 7, Nicodemus is speaking to the rest of the Pharisees and he's saying no, we must treat Christ, J- Jesus fairly. He's, he's in some sort of a subtle way trying to defend the ministry of Jesus. And then we see Him one last time. The end of John's Gospel in chapter 19. In chapter 19, Jesus is dead. He's been crucified. And there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea who goes and he asks Pilate if he can have Jesus' body and bury it. And then John says, with Joseph of Arimathea, there was a man named Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night. And he brought 75 pounds of spices for Jesus' burial. That's something that a rich man would do. No one who was poor in, in Jerusalem would have been able to bring that kind of spice. Only a rich and powerful man was. And that is precisely what Nicodemus was. And I think that we see by that act of Nicodemus that his life had been changed. There are other mentions of Nicodemus in, in kind of uh, f- f- false literature or fake literature. In the 2nd and 3rd century, there's something called the Gospel of Pilate. The Acts of Pilate. And, in there, Nicodemus is persecuted for his Christianity. Nicodemus, in the later centuries, becomes this sort of this character who had once been a Pharisee, but his life had been changed by meeting Jesus. And as a result of that, he came to see Jesus by night, but he went away with light. He went away knowing what it meant to be born again. He went away having been told that God gave His only Son so that those who believe in Him can have life. He went away saying that today, in our world, the world is broken. And there are snakes and crocodiles and all kinds of other animals that want to harm us. And there is the worst of all, the evil one. The evil snake who wants to harm us in terrible ways. But, there's coming a day. There's coming a day because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all of these things will be changed. And all of our lives will be different. And all of the things that are wrong with the world will be put right again the world will be born again. It will be born again for those people who are born again. And today, I want you to walk out of here realizing that the only hope we have in a world that is broken is the man Jesus Christ. And just as the Israelites looked up to that serpent on a pole, we must look up to Jesus Christ on the cross and realize that is our hope. We live our lives either in darkness or in light. The difference is in what we look at. And if we look at Jesus, He gives us a wonderful promise of a new world, a new heaven, a new earth, where the serpents will no longer bite. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You today. We thank You for this wonderful passage that we have heard so many times in our life. And we ask this morning that You will take these words, and that they will go into the hearts of those who are here that You will use these words to remind us that what we desperately need is not to make ourselves better, but to look to that One who truly can make us better. He is our rock and our fortress and our deliverer. And it is in His strong name, the name of Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.